0: Welcome to episode 191 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Sunday, 24th of June, 2018.
1: The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to JensenUSA.com slash The Spokesman. And now, for a limited time, new customers to Jensen USA who are referred by The Spokesman get 10% off one item. Simply enter The Spokesman, no spaces, at checkout.
0: Hi there, I'm Carlton Reed of BikeBiz.com, and as promised, I'm talking to you from the USA. I'm in Ketchum, Idaho, to do some riding on gravel bikes and e-mountain bikes. And it's all thanks to Crank Tank, a Ketchum consultancy business co-owned by Scott Montgomery. Crank Tank's Impact Media Summit has brought 12 or so bike and outdoor journalists to town, so we can ride bikes from Specialized or Beer and others, all shod with Max's tires, another exhibitor. The show starts on Tuesday, but I'm here early, so I've been able to catch up with Scott. He was last on the show in 2009, when he was working for Scott Bicycles. Now, he's called Scott, but he didn't found Scott Bicycles. His father did, however, found Cannondale. And Scott worked for the company Man & Boy, as you'll hear in this recording. As I mentioned from the get-go, the audio may sound a little tinny, but there's a good and worthwhile reason for that. And it has to do with Ernest Hemingway who lived and tragically died in Ketchum. Of course if you know anything at all about famous cycling quotes you'll have come across this one. Hemingway wrote it is by riding a bicycle that you learn the contours of a country best since you have to sweat up the hills and coast down them. Thus you remember them as they actually are. While in a motor car only a high hill impresses you and you have no such accurate remembrance of country you have driven through as you gain by riding a bicycle. Amen to that. But what about a motorized bicycle? Would Hemingway, who died in 1961, have waxed lyrical about riding e-bikes? Or would he have hankered after m-bikes, mechanical bikes? Just like he used a mechanical typewriter, rather, than an electric typewriter, which were widely available throughout Hemingway's writing career. That's where this conversation ends up. I am in Ketchum, Idaho. And if this recording sounds a bit tinny, sounds as though we're in a a bit of a box, that's because we are in a box. We are actually in a a former bank vault, big steel doors at the front there. Uh, But I'm being overlooked by Uh, A whole bunch of Hollywood movie stars, black and white photographs, and a huge photograph of Ernest Hemingway. Um, And that's because Ketchum, Idaho, is where Ernest Hemingway, well, it's where he blew his brains out in the end. But it's where he spent the last few years of his life. So uh, Ketchum, Idaho, uh, has got a big uh, Hemingway trail. You can go and see the the cemetery. You can go and see where he, he, he first wrote, uh, or where he wrote for Home the Bell Tolls, which is in the Sun Valley Lodge, which is just next door. Uh, But I am in uh, the the kind of Hemingway room here in a Starbucks in the the centre of of Ketchum, and I am with a a Ketchum resident, and and he's brought me here, and that is Scott Montgomery. So hi there, Scott. So tell me, why are we in Ketchum, Idaho?
1: Well, after I left Cannondale in 2003, I started Scott USA in, uh, in Ketchum because the ski division, which was founded by Ed Scott, was started uh, in Ketchum. And so the business always stayed here uh, throughout all the years. And uh, when I was first speaking to Biat Zog about it, he said, well, do you want to move the headquarters? And I came out to Ketchum and we had a very strong organization at the time they'd actually build a new building that was sufficiently large and had a very strong uh, leader of the snow sports division and uh, the CFO of the entire company was here and I'm like this is a beautiful place let's keep it here and you just built this big new building we'll uh, easily have room so it it made good sense and I had been living in Sedona Arizona prior to going back to Cannondale so I was very much happy to be living in the West and in a mountain town. And uh, I had young kids and skiing in the winter and uh, mountain biking in the summer looked perfectly good to me. So it is a small town, it's, it's, it's tiny.
0: Uh, so to have Scott the ski brand, then that went into Scott the ski and mountain bike brand in the town must've been a huge thing to have a big international brand in, in town.
1: Well, it was quite interesting because within uh, 100 meters was the Scott American headquarters, which was originally the total headquarters. But when Tom Stendel and Biazog bought uh, control of Scott, they really migrated the headquarters to Switzerland. Um, But the Smith headquarters, which had also uh, been bought by Saffilo, so was kind of in effect had moved out of town as well. Um, but we were within 100 metres of each other, so I could throw a rock and hit Blair Clark, and yet at lunchtime, Blair uh, and I would ride bikes together, so uh, we were competitors during the day, except for when we rode bikes together. So it's an outdoor town, so you kind of wander around,
0: and you don't have to think, oh, there's a bike guy, because it's like, well, everybody's a bike guy here, everybody's an outdoor person. Would that be a fair reflection of who's living here?
1: Yeah, it's actually funny when you go to the, uh, to Salt Lake or to... uh, a big airport, you always look like, wow, there are all these big American people. And when you're in some valley, most people are really fit because otherwise, why would you live here? It's not a cultural center. It's not an art center. It's basically a center for people that like to be outdoors. And if you didn't like being outdoors, frankly, you wouldn't live here, right? Or I wouldn't encourage you to live here. (laughs) So we've got the Sawtooth Mountains. We're surrounded by some beautiful green rolling hills. And
0: then you've got the the, the bald mountain. You've got the peaks Mm -hmm. around. So this is mountain bike heaven, Road bike heaven. Is it like good for road bikes?: Well, it's
1: actually um, uh, it's fantastic for all the activities we'll be doing this week, uh, which is, of course, mountain biking. I think we have over 400 miles of uh, mountain biking terrain, And then we have a lot of really good gravel riding. And uh, I know that's picking up in your uh, backyard as well, but it's really becoming popular in the U.S. Um, And uh, so it's fantastic for that. And then we also have a lot of trails that we share with horses and motorcycles. So we've also got tremendous e-mountain bike riding, which some places in the U.S. have had kind of got a battle, much like the original battle between the hikers and the mountain bikers back in the 80s. But uh, so we've got Fantastic. The road biking actually, I don't think, is very good because the roads are tend to be small and straight, and you have a lot of these huge RVs that uh, you know. And I kind of joke, you'll have like a 75-year-old uh, husband and wife, and they're out here driving, and they're like, "Mildred, look at, look at those, around, yeah. look at those beautiful mountains. What was that? Oh, I don't know, but everything seems okay." And it was like, uh, so I personally uh, quite nervous about riding on the roads though we have some okay roads but uh the gravel mountain and e-biking is fantastic so the e mountain
0: biking is easier here than maybe other places so utah uh, many other places where where you've got fantastic single track trails but you've had previous battles yep. with you know back in the day with getting access to mountain bikes so here is this because we're like in the boondocks we're kind of like in the middle of nowhere here is that the reason
1: why it's a bit more relaxed here You know, it's a really good question, Um, and it's one that is always, uh, would be different if you move from county to county within even the state, but because we have so many people that are very outdoor supportive here, uh, and we've got um, something called the Blaine County Rec, which oversees a lot of the activities, and they are very positive on uh, e-bikes and mountain bikes. Um, and the leadership there Jim and Eric are super positive on it um, and then we also have a we're a very Republican state which is kind of like don't tell me what to do and so that has been big supporters of the motorcycle and quads and let's say power sports industry a lot of snowmobiles so anyway you put all that together and you've just had a an environment where everybody says let's all, we're all outside, we're having fun and you have a lot of people that do multiple things. I know of people who will take their quads and then they'll go a little further with a bike and then they'll go hunting and then they'll go, or they'll go fishing because they can get back further into other places. So everybody's uh, said let's have fun outdoors and uh, don't worry too much about how you get there. So you mentioned Republicans there. We should never ever mention politics in in, in this. This is not a political show.
0: You mentioned it, so we'll go there. So uh, there's there's a a kind of there's a a nexus here of e mountain bikes, e bikes in general are kind of where the bike industry is making its money at the moment. This is this is global. This is not just America. It's not just it's the global bike industry is it's washing its face at the moment. Via uh, electrification, via putting batteries on bikes, via getting uh, uh, motors on bikes. Now, and here's where the political bit comes in uh, America, via its president, has, or it looks to be, uh, imposing a 25% tariff on e bikes. So, this wonderful profit-making machine which is washing the face of the industry at the moment is potentially not gonna be a washing the face at all it's it's gonna it's gonna would you say it's gonna kill or certainly harm the industry in a big way
1: yes I mean it's really too bad because uh, as you know the US is having a very strong run uh, gross domestic national product is clearly at 3% positive clip, one of the fastest uh, times in a long time. So yes, I think if we, uh, and I, th- I think there's only one other clarification from my understanding, I think still mostly what's driven the e-bike in most of Europe has been the transportation side of it, because you have so many great bike paths, and, and uh, you have such high petrol, Uh, it really is a a strong motivator to stay out of your car or use public transportation or use the great trails you have. U.S. is quite a bit different. We're really seeing the boom in the e-bike coming from the mountain biker. Uh, I kind of put it more in the performance segment. Uh, We think it's going to happen in road also, actually. It's coming strong, and I know we'll talk about that more this week. So um, I really see that our side of it is... There is transportation, and in some of the cities like Washington, D.C., and in New York, where we've built uh, good pathways, but most of the U.S. is a very spread out uh, kind of cities, and there the biking is um, not benefiting so much from that. So, uh, back to your original question, uh, I think it will hurt um, because if it weren't for the growth of the e bikes and the gravel bikes and the really strong sales of mountain bikes, they're not really going up, but they're stable and all these new, whether it's 26, well, it's 26 is gone as we know, but 27.5 or 29, or whether you're mid travel or short travel or long travel, the e-bike has is, uh, is, is been a big part of our driver and it's gonna hurt and we'll have to see what happens. Maybe we'll get an exception or an exemption. Maybe uh, Mike or uh, Sinyard and John Burke will be able to uh, levy uh, Mr. Trump personally to uh, give us a waiver on e-bikes, but uh, I don't think so. So that twenty-five percent will probably be at
0: retail. You know, a bit more than that. So it's going to take, you know, say a, a, an average mountain bike, e-mountain bike, say ten thousand dollars. We're going to, which is already incredibly expensive. Yes. for 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 a bicycle, um, it's going to take that up to like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars. So that you think that's going to just price people out? They'll just go, oh, look, I can just buy a motorbike. For that. I can I can do lots of things with my money. That. Or do you think it's, it's a bit more of a, a, a potentially stable mind? If you're spending that much, you go, oh, who cares spending a little bit extra? That kind of marketplace.
1: Well, I think always economics are important factors in everything. So um, it's going to hurt. There's no doubt. I can't clarify whether it stops growing. If I had to guess, I think it'll still grow. But there will be people, particularly younger people, I think who would like to buy a mountain bike, an e-mountain bike, uh, at the moment that will be priced out of it. Probably older people have a little more advantage uh, because of their financial status, but um, it's not good for the industry, for sure. But surely you just make them here? Why can't you just make e-bikes here? Come on, make America great again. Yeah, make America great again. That's right. Well, um, as somebody who has spent a lot of years at Cannondale and uh, personally worked on a production uh, facility in line and things. Uh, I think it might bring a little bit of production here, but the problem is that all the suppliers and there's so much uh, of the infrastructure that really doesn't exist here anymore. And then there's also the political risk of, okay, uh, Mr. Trump's two years in, he uh, has only another two years. What if you build a factory and then two years from now? the this all gets changed or there's a lot of speculation that he's only enacting this trade war to try to improve the deal and in the end uh, it's not going to continue. Uh, I I mean my recollection of uh, US history is that the uh, World War One was mostly a trade war uh, so I certainly hope that that never happens again but uh, this is not good for the world to be fighting with uh, our friends and and people that are peace uh, peaceable people and essentially economics creates wars it's, it's not good we'll stay away from
0: politics which I'm sure everybody will be very happy that we'll, we'll stay away from there so you mentioned there Cannondale so the Montgomery family your dad created Cannondale and then you worked for Cannondale so tell us a little bit about that family background with, with, with a very iconic brand
1: well certainly that's where I cut my teeth at Cannondale uh My father started it when I was 11. Uh, I made a dollar an hour uh, in the day, uh, probably trying to keep out of the way, or he keep me out of the way. And then uh, I was so fortunate that I loved it and uh, became much more of a cyclist uh, than my father was. And then I got very lucky with the mountain bike boom and moved to Europe and started Cannondale Europe, which was very fortunate timing when the mountain bike was taking off. And then I moved on to Japan and started Cannondale, Japan, and then well, the Volvo Cannondale team was quite lucky and Seiko Cannondale was early, we were one of the first companies to really get behind all that so yeah my time at Cannondale was fantastic and we went public and all of those things uh, that were exciting um, and uh, of course Cannondale now is uh, part of the Durrell family uh, and um, oh, still one of the big six I like to call them the the uh, the super six which is really giant track specialized uh there's a dural group the Acel group very strong out of the netherlands and of course uh now the pawn group mm-hmm. uh and there's some other big companies i'm leaving out but all of those companies are essentially billion dollar companies so it's uh uh when you add of course SRAM and shimano to that mix but that's those are the really powerful bike brands
0: i don't want to rake over coals too much i don't want to like you know you, you, you bring up painful memories here but the cannondale motorbike would you say that was one of the things that, that hurt the company oh, and, yeah. and and took it down? I mean, yes, you've said who's owning it now, but when your family owned it, it was was it your dad's idea to do the motorbike, and that's just the investment in that was just too much. You, you, you've got you're up against Suzuki, you're up against Honda, and yeah. he was Cannondale doing a very innovative motorbike but it just was maybe too much for a company of that size
1: yeah it was i i don't remember exactly whose idea it was i know um that i had uh i had retired from cannondale at that point um and it was mainly because my uh, wife at the time was um with we were having children and i was working a lot i mean I think and it traveling was, internationally. Almost. Yeah, it was very common to work sixty hours a week, quite often, and if you were traveling to Europe and other places. But anyway, long story short, yeah, the motorcycle uh, was too much. I mean, I remember talking with a, a gentleman from uh, the group uh, that at the time owned Ducati and he was like uh, you tried to start a motorcycle company with less than 500 million and I was like no we tried to start it with 20 million we have got to the point before the the uh, chapter 11 of the bankruptcy we were a hundred million in and he said oh you can't do a hundred million dollar deal or a hundred million dollar investment to get into that space but uh yeah, it was too bad. We, had, uh, we did a lot of things right, um, but the uh, financing of it was uh, more than we had anticipated, and so was the technology. We were a little early with things like electronic shifting, four-stroke engines. Um, there were some things where the software, particularly that now is commonplace on a, any kind of uh, power vehicle in that area, we, we were having troubles with capacity and mapping, and that today are all... Uh, have all been solved, but we are on the on the early curve of that.
0: So you mentioned um, Scott before. So were you directly from Cannondale to Scott? Is that was that the segue?
1: Yeah, that's kind of a funny story. So uh, the morning after uh, I was pushed out of Cannondale, and again, uh, just to r- repeat the history. Uh, so after the chapter eleven, the uh, the equity company that had the majority share uh, wanted to close the motorcycle company and reorganize bike. So I actually moved back to the headquarters and uh, I don't know, was co-president or something like that. It didn't really matter. But we actually had the company back to healthy and profitable within three months. Um, so we were making money again. But uh, I think the term I would use, I was, uh, I had the emperor's blood uh, being the son. And, um, and so they wanted a fresh, I think they wanted a non-Montgomery running the company. And so they brought in a guy who had been an ex-Nike guy. Um, so anyway, uh, the next day after they uh, um, pushed me out, they, um, uh, they said I could not work for six months. Um, so it's a traditional thing in the U.S. they gave me a non-compete. And so I called Dave Stevens, who was the CFO of Scott, who was right here in Sun Valley, Idaho. And I said, gosh, you have this beautiful Scott CR1 bike. And Dave was like, yeah, it's a great bike, but the bike industry is terrible. And I had actually bought a Scott CR1 bike, hand carried it on the airplane home. I think most people or you and I have talked about this story. But anyway, I'll skip ahead. So I called uh, Dave. He said, we'll never go back into the bike industry, but I really don't run the company. You can call Biat Zag. And thinking that if he gave me Biat's number, I would bugger off. And uh, five minutes later, I called Biat, and we talked for about 15 minutes, and then he invited me to come over to Switzerland, which I did in, I think, like two weeks later. And we uh, consummated DOI, invested in Scott, and, uh, and I started Scott USA. six months and two days to uh, the after we would have started it on April 1st, but in America, that's called uh, April Fool's Day, and it's a, considered a holiday of, of jokery. So we thought we shouldn't announce that we would bring bikes back into the U.S. until April 2nd, so that it wouldn't be considered a joke. And then, how long were you with Scott? USA? Yeah? Uh really through the end of 2010 and during that period, uh Biat was able to buy Tom Stendel out of the business, and at the same time Biat back bought back all the shares from the rest of the company. So there was basically nobody owning shares but Biat. And so once Biat bought my shares back, um I was like but I want to stay involved in the company if I can be uh, a shareholder and an investor, but I don't want to stay in the company if I don't have any skin in the game would be kind of the slang or American term we'd use. Um, and so uh, we agreed in a very friendly and favorable way that I would uh, leave the company after that, and I did on my own terms. And uh, Scott's continued to do, obviously, very, very well since. And what did you do? After that, let's go through your CV. Scott. Oh yeah, well, I'm going to skip some parts because uh, <laughs> there's too much there. But uh, uh, long story short, I've been running companies mostly since I grew Club Ride from almost nothing uh, to a so nice. This is, app- this is apparel. Yeah, I did that, and that was based here that Mike had started. Um, and then I ran Nutcase Helmets for a year, uh, and we had a successful turnaround there, and then we sold the company, and then I've been uh i'm in kind of a unique position i'm ceo of reynolds cycling the carbon fiber wheel company and then i do that about uh 75 of my time and then i also have a small consulting firm called crank tank and uh, i do that for the balance of the time and the only reason i kept the uh the dual times like that is i didn't ever want to find myself in a situation where i needed to move uh, because my roots are here in Sun Valley, and my children are here, and my wife is an attorney here. So uh, uh, by keeping a little bit of my own business uh, on the side, it uh, protects me in the event that um, uh, after a certain number of years with the company, I, all, I have something to fall back on, so. But Reynolds is Salt Lake Valley. So you're, you're a commuter, a regular commuter across there. You're hopping across in the airplane. Actually I really drive it, Uh, by Mm -hmm. American standards it's not so far, it's four hours, so uh, many weeks I'll get up at five in the morning and now I can be uh, at my desk by 9.15 or something like that, and then uh, uh, I come home at the end of the week. Uh, So that works out just fine.
0: And you've got a bunch of wheels
1: Yes, uh, to to
0: launch, is this giving anything away to say you're launching it at, at at a famous European trade show?
1: No, I think uh, we're really, uh, we'll launch some of those new wheels this week. Uh, we're launching our e-bike wheels, uh, our e-mountain bike wheels um, this week. Uh, that hopefully you'll get a chance to ride uh, on one of the e-bikes here. And, um, and then we've com- uh, also got a complete uh, line now of mountain bike wheels. Uh, I like to use the term good, better, best strategy. So we have a kind of a 1299 US base price. Uh, and then we have a, a, a superior wheel to that at fifteen forty nine U S dollars. And then we, our premium line is our black label line, and we're taking that moniker, and it comes from the black label uh, Johnny Walker, uh, which is that whiskey. It's a U.K. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's brand, whiskey. isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so our black label whiskey, or uh, in our case wheels, um, at the at the high end around two thousand ninety nine. Which, by the way, uh, I don't know what the U K uh, dollar is, but in the Europe EU, it'll be almost identical USD EU, EU dollar, or the e European e, uh, euros. Turns, euros, yes. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, and then we've also got a complete line of that same price points uh, in road, uh, with our Aero product under the Black Label moniker at the top, and then we've also will be introducing our new gravel wheels. Uh, which also have the same, and though gravel is not so big, especially in Spain and Italy, it's still people think you're kind of crazy, but uh, I think in most of Northern Europe, uh, Canada it's also quite popular, Um, we have kind of a a boom going on in the gravel segment, and uh, my wife, uh, who loves to ride, as do I, uh, she has one bike and three sets of wheels. So she's got a set of uh, Black Label uh, uh, Aero uh, 46 deep wheels with a 28 mil tire for road. And she rides that on the bike path and she rode it to uh, work on Friday. And then she has a uh, ATR 700C uh, carbon Reynolds wheel with a 35 mil tire that she'll really ride on, on the On the gravel dirt roads, which is why we call it gravel in the US. And then she also has a new set of ATR 650Bs with a Schwabe 2.0 tire that you can really ride with maybe 30, 25 PSI and ride it on a lot of our trails here that aren't so difficult I would not ride it down the flow trail that you and I will ride on uh, Tuesday but uh, on more the mellow trails it's actually quite good and so what we're seeing is uh, the US trend at the moment is to have kind of one road bike two or three sets of wheels and then you're really ready to do everything uh, and of course with a one by and that's kind of the uh, in America you know we're kind of obsessed with big cars and and SUVs or sport utility vehicles. Um, and so that's what we're really seeing emerging is people will have a mountain bike and then a, uh, a gravel road bike with, uh, the, with this kind of their SUV to, to ride with different wheel configurations. So not so uh, good for frame manufacturers, but for aftermarket wheel brands, good news. It is, I think it's... Uh, so your wife is a typical consumer, you think? Uh, well, it's, we'll put it, my wife is definitely influenced by her husband uh, being a big fan of Reynolds. Uh, but I think it, that is where the momentum is. Uh, r- uh, road bike sales are still on the decrease in the U.S. and the gravel bike, or it's, I, we, I don't like to use the word cross, but it's more of a crossover uh, vehicle type or crossover bike. That is uh, growing at over 100% right now. Now still on balance, the category, uh, it's a shifting, but it's still very good because kind of even going back to my Scott days, like I just sold my Scott Addict uh literally at a at a, sw- a sweep or swap or whatever uh uh during the weekend a few weeks ago and um I've had that bike it's a beautiful bike I mean the carbon frame is not going to wear out so what is finally getting people to move over we've all been transforming our mountain bikes every two or three years because we had to have 29er and then we had to have 27.5 and then we had to have more travel and then all that you've lived it with me Uh, of course all those variations which has kept mountain bike turnover quite strong but road kind of fell into a a period where you couldn't make because of the UCI and the whole uh, rules with the the weights not dropping all of a sudden there were many people like me who had a beautiful carbon road bike from 2008 or 9 or 10 or 2007 and there was no motivation to replace it and with this kind of gravel phenomenon you had to go to disc brakes you wanted to be able to go wider chainstay seat stays to fit the bigger tires you might use a dropper post you were certainly considering a one by. you're thinking about uh, all these other configurations so What's really good about it for the dealers right now is it's causing people like me, I sold this Scott Attic that certainly uh, was a $10,000 product, had beautiful carbon wheels and everything. I sold it at a swap for $1,500 and now I'm replacing it with uh, a new road bike and I actually haven't decided which one I'm gonna get yet. But the point is I think that's what's really driving the market is to keep this movement and then of course the e-bike segment. The driving the market, from what you
0: said there, is people buying new stuff. Potentially, it's not new people. So do not think this is a, a problem in that, yes, it's great to sell to those core people that we've all, all we're sold to, but we need to bring new blood in. And if we're not bringing new blood in, then we don't grow the market organically. We're just selling to the same people, and that can't last forever. You're They're
1: right. are getting old,
0: for a start. Yeah. We're I- all
1: getting old. We're all. Mm-hmm. We're all... You're right. I mean, that is really the biggest problem we have in the US, clearly, is that we, because we didn't invest... Well, really, I think it comes back to because we've never really raised the price of fuel and cars are getting more and more efficient, especially as we move into electric, then we never built the infrastructure of the bike paths. We did really well at building recreational trails and recreational types of activities, but we never built the commuting side of it that really keeps Europe strong with the cyclist. And that combined with spreading our cities out really kept the car in the front and center of our culture. So yes, I think the biggest challenge we have for the bike industry is, uh, is that issue of we're not bringing in new bodies. Now, the only thing keeping us going at the moment a little bit is the fact that we have the e-bike coming. And I say in a lot of cases, you may laugh at this, but uh, the e-bike is kind of like uh, Viagra to a lot of people because all of a sudden, uh, uh, particularly um, older men, but it also is working really well for older women also because you have some situations where the man will stay on the uh, traditional bike and then his wife can now ride an e-bike and be faster or as they're aging, or you have the other situation where the father and son can now participate or maybe the guy that's less fit can ride. Um, So definitely e-bikes is keeping people cycling longer and that's, let's say, masking the problem. But long-term, yes, Carlton, if we don't get younger people on bikes, some point we're going to hit a cliff uh, because the the generation that really is keeping the bike industry going the boomers are going to die (laughs) and actually I'm born in 61 so I'm on the uh, tail end of that but uh, uh, but I'm counting on staying riding e-bikes at least till I'm 85 but I did ride with my son last weekend mountain biking and I was pissed because I didn't have an e-bike, and uh, he didn't need an e-bike, but he, uh, he could ride up in some of those areas now. I, I have to get up and walk, uh, so anyway. So, the
0: e-bike is saving the industry's bacon, in many respects. You have a president who's potentially going to be uh, curtailing that saving of the bacon. We haven't got enough new people in so you're not painting an incredibly fantastic picture of the health of the industry here. Is that a fair reflection of where the industry is right now? We, and if that is, how on earth do we change it? How do we get those new people in? So if you put your CE consulting hat on, how do you change the whole industry? Not just one company. How do you change the whole industry? Is it possible? Is this something that only outside factors can affect or is this something that the industry as a whole and just America, Europe globally, can actually make a difference?
1: Well, that's a really good question. I mean, uh, I think Europe will continue to be fine because you have invested you've essentially you artificially raised the price of oil to the place where it's kept a very strong incentive. To use uh, a bicycle for commuting, especially in tandem with uh, trails of um, uh, you know of public transportation, U.S. is still much more vulnerable uh, for sure because we haven't built the infrastructure. We also have the combined problem of that we have so many big multinational companies that really push sugar, which is uh, our other uh, big problem of the world today um and so i think the good part is the e-bike becomes more uh, efficient and batteries get longer and more adopted they're such fun to ride at least i absolutely love and i get even with some of my good friends that aren't in the industry uh into some debates about whether e-bikes are a good or bad thing but as a cyclist i love both you know i Uh, I really ride my e-bike for transportation because we have this beautiful paved bike path um, and I love it for that and I find when I'm using my e-bike it doesn't take away from my cycling it just takes away from my car use um, as I'm sure you're in that same boat but I think fundamentally the U.S. is going to be in a challenged place I do think kids will love e-bikes for the same reason that they've grown up with a smartphone from the day they started in elementary school so I'm quite positive on that now I have my uh, Garmin watch and I keep track of my steps and all of the information there so I think people love that technology aspect of it Um, but I think globally uh, we will if we don't invest in the infrastructure the way Europe has I think we're at risk And, of course, China's done a great job with that. They have almost bike paths always next to all the the major uh, roads. But I think the countries that don't invest in the infrastructure of the bike path are are going to be challenged. And uh, that's a mistake that I think the U.S. has continued to make. And uh, our political organizations, whether it's People for Bikes or IMBA, are working on that. But I think it's an uphill battle that... uh, I I wouldn't be as bullish on the U.S. long-term as I would be
0: on Europe. So a couple of blocks from here, you've got the Ketchum Community Library, which has got uh, one of, I'm sure you had many of them, but you've got one of of, uh, Hemingway's original typewriters, which is a manual typewriter. So 60s, 70s, you then started getting, in effect, uh, non-mechanical Typewriters, so typewriters that had more automation on them. Then we go into nowadays, we obviously have um, computers and we have smartphones. So that technological shift, so you had uh, a mechanical typewriter, we've now got everything else is non mechanical. So you're, you're mentioning kids there growing up with, with smartphones. So there was a, a, an academic paper which talked about there's an e bike and there's an M bike, and the M just like a typewriter stands for mechanical bike. So do you think that, this is a long-winded way of asking you this question, do you think we are going down a future of, um, the Hemingway's mechanical typewriter is where we're going with bikes. We are going for M bikes, So that will be almost a museum piece in that, in the future, we're gonna have augmentation of one sort or the other. So anybody who wants to, to have M a, m-bike, a yeah, you can have them, but they're gonna be old technology. They're gonna be museum pieces, just like uh, Hemingway's typewriter. Is that the future we are, we are going down with with e-mountain bikes and e-bikes in general?
1: Well, I definitely uh, believe that it will uh, continue to decrease in sales, uh, the mechanical bike, Uh, for sure and I think e-bike will overtake it in every market and of course we're still seeing the technology is still in the beginning phases of its life and uh, I don't know we have Moore's Law and I kinda feel like we're in that same I don't know if anybody's put a name to it but I don't see battery technology slowing down and uh, they're getting lighter and I think the next generation of these e-road bikes that we're going to see i know uh we're going to see one that we'll be able to ride this week with orbea um i think we're going to see a lot of e road bikes as well and uh todd tanner who works with me at reynolds has uh documented on his garmin watch that he can get just as many calories burned on an e-mountain bike as he can on a mechanical uh ride it just he rides twice the distance um and you do need some uh discipline to uh, maybe only use the uh, assist a little less uh, during certain parts of the riding but um, to answer your question yes I if I had to predict I think we'll see certainly something where if I had to guess it would go to at least 60 70% to battery-operated bikes of the turnover of the revenue maybe the units will still I don't think we'll see probably six-year-old kids learning to ride on them on an electric bike because who's gonna invest a thousand euros or dollars on a on a kid that young? But I think when they get to junior high and high school, uh, and if, certainly with bike share programs, I think there could very well be a situation where you'd rent a bike for a year for a 12 year old and bring it back and, uh, and transfer it into a, a larger size, uh, potentially so. Yeah, I think the future is all around. the. uh, I mean, I think electronics will be in everything. And frankly, I think the same. I've had a long discussion with a friend of mine who uh, used to be the vice president of Porsche USA that he actually thinks that uh, the uh, e-car is actually going to have a short run. And he thinks by 2025, all the cars will be actually uh, hydrogen-powered. So uh, it'll be interesting to see who can move from the e-bike to the hydrogen uh, powered bike, but I, uh, it's a little beyond my uh, scope at the moment. So that's a Crank
0: Tank Summit in like 10 yeah. years' Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you've mentioned briefly throughout the, this conversation what we're going to be doing this week. So tell us about why I'm actually here. So why have you invited me here with a bunch of other uh, mainly American journalists uh, to be in Ketchum, Idaho? What, what, what are we going to be doing for the next few days?
1: Well, we're having uh, the Crank Tank-sponsored uh, uh, Impact event. Uh, which is uh, designed to really help out companies that aren't big enough to have their own media camps. And, you know, the big six will always have their own media camps. you got specialized here. They can do. That's true. You're right. We do. So we should feel lucky. That was the old sales spiel. Now yeah. you've got to have a new one because you've got specialized. That's really true. And uh, they're, uh, well, they're big. Uh, Jeff McGuane, uh, who's one of the top, Three people in the company. Wasn't he ex Cannondale? He is. He's an ex Cannondale guy. I don't know if he's technically. I don't know the the top numbers, but he's certainly one of the leaders uh, within Specialized, with Mike Sinnett and Bob Marjavikas and and the rest of the leadership team there. Uh, but I think, on balance, what we're trying to do is really an experiential uh, event. We won't have much time in meetings here uh, this week. Our goal is to basically get you on e-bikes, to get you on gravel bikes, to get you on mountain bikes, and experience the products that we're sharing. Uh, because we believe that there's plenty of time for you to go back to the parts suppliers or the bike manufacturers later uh, and get all the technical specs We can that go on need. a
0: website. We, yeah. can, we can get that on a <laughs>
1: memory stick. We don't need to be fed that in a meeting. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. We think that era of having long meetings uh, are over. We believe if you get out and really have a big uh, smile on your specialized or your BMC uh, bike, you then uh, which most people are are now doing. But and then we're really we do feel that industry has to come together with the local uh, jurisdictions, and we are doing that very well and are proud of that in our backyard here, albeit a small one, uh, where we're really bringing together. The uh, the bike trail people, the county uh, recreation groups, uh, the mayor is a friend of mine. It's easy to have that in a small town like this, um, and the uh, the organizations at the hotels to really say, "Hey, everybody, we've all got to work together. We've got to share the trails with uh, power vehicles or motorsports vehicles." In the U.S., tends to be quads and and uh, gas powered uh, motorcycles, though. I think we'll see motorcycles. Uh, Stefan at Cake is a friend of mine and uh, he's bringing on a beautiful uh, electric motorcycle. So uh, what we're really trying to do is also really embrace opening up these roads and trails. And we think we need to do more uh, events around. Uh, Rebecca Rush has an event here in the end of uh, august which i'm really happy uh, i'll be able to attend this year because eurobike has moved to a different time and it's a it's a big gravel event and there are people that will race it and uh, and win their the the race but the vast majority are people like myself who will stop at the stops and uh Enjoy a uh, baked potato, an Idaho baked potato in the middle uh, to get some calories. This is the potato state, yeah. yeah this, this the is Idaho it. is a potato <laughs> state. Exactly, we're famous for nothing except for a, <laughs> a big fat potato. Uh, uh, and um, so we're we're going to really try to, to. I think that's the other thing that I'm really seeing, and I think Adrian, my business partner in this, uh, we're really seeing a, a shift away from competitiveness in cycling uh, to much more and I think this is uh, across the industry, at least in the US, uh, we're to moving much more towards adventure and experiential. And that's part of what we're doing with the, the Impact Event. But we think if we have a good time riding together, then over dinner let's talk about the technical things as opposed to spending a lot of the day in a meeting and then maybe only one hour on the ride so we're, we're, we're gonna try to make sure everybody gets the experience and we think that's really gonna be good for bike touring and for events that really embrace the get out and, and explore and get into the to the um, countryside or or get creative with uh, events and move away from that kind of maybe Ironman phase, which was, of course, very big in the US and is still growing worldwide. And, and maybe even the pro tour uh, time, um, you know, it's, it's a little less interested in the pro side, more interested in just have fun and participate with your, your friends. So what kind of journalists have you got attending this event? Well, we've got a good grouping. Um, we're proud to have you here uh, and Hannah. Uh, also track from single track, which is great, and then really everybody else is u s based uh, outside is a great supporter um, we 've got uh, most of the strong digital people mtBR pink bike um, and so we 've got a good selection of uh, uh, journalists from the u s side and um, and hopefully uh, and some great brands so we're we're proud to have uh, a lot of good brands and good Journalists, and hopefully uh, we've got what looks like to be pretty perfect weather, which is... But it's always perfect here. It's <laughs> no, Sun no. Valley. No, you're, you are delusional, my friend. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you want, You not want the tourist board, board to hear you saying these things. Yeah, but it's going to be good weather, and, um, and so hopefully... Uh, I, I think you'll really enjoy the gravel ride, and we now have, for the first time, uh, the Sun Valley Company, is, uh, which is kind of a funny story. It's owned by the Holding family. And the holding family made their money from petroleum so uh, it's kind of funny that a petroleum family would invest in the ski industry because if you believe in global warming you could say that's a huge contradiction Uh, but they've opened a beautiful uh, flow trail that is uh, connected to a gondola so we'll get to uh, ride from the uh, the restaurant at the top of the gondola all the way down on the flow trail tuesday morning and then we're going to do some e-bike riding tuesday afternoon and then wednesday morning we're going to do a great gravel ride and um uh then we'll end up wednesday afternoon on a uh, an m mountain bike a mechanical mountain bike i like that term that you've introduced i, I to don't be. like the term
0: you but don't well i can understand why people want to go that way and clearly you're clearly going to have to have a term for these things because in the future with the typewriter. You you, you don't call that electric typewriter, you call it whatever. Well, that's a mechanical typewriter. So clearly that is the way we're we're going. I think it's just the shock of the new. It's like, yeah, we're gonna have to call this something. We can't call it a bike.
1: Yeah, the term that gets bounced around right now, and I know Zap is coming, and he hates this term from uh, mountain biking yeah, acoustic. Okay, okay. Yeah, the, the, you know, of course there's the electric guitar and the acoustic guitar, so some people uh, like to use the word acoustic, but I like actually your term, uh, which is new to me today, of uh, e-biking and mechanical biking. I think that's much more uh, easy to remember and understand.
0: Unless you're a guitar person, and then you can, you can figure that out a bit more. But I'm not a guitar person, so I would have struggled a bit with acoustic bicycle. You're like, what, a bicycle that makes sound? What's, what's...
1: <laughs> I, I agree. I think the term is kind of confusing. I like uh, mechanical better, and, and I like your, your typewriter analogy. That's a good one.
0: Thanks to Scott Montgomery there. This has been episode 191 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. For show notes and more, go to the-spokesman.com. The next show will be about the riding mentioned in this one some of which will be battery powered. No matter how you propel your bicycle, get out there and ride.